all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I do not have a guest for you this week because this week is a continuation of that uh, transactional analysis podcast that I started in episode 42 and might go on forever, to be honest with you, because there's fucking no end to the amount of stupid, insane thoughts that I can come up with in this brick shed in my front garden. Uh, before we get to the podcast, however, I just want to give you a quick update on Freshuary, this month's challenge. The rules are that we're only allowed to eat local produce or um, food that was created here on the Gold Coast, or at least as close to that as possible. No corporations, no grocery stores, no chains. And this has been the funnest one of all of them, I think, so far. I love it. It's so good. It's so good knowing that your food comes straight from a farm right to your front door. I love it. We have... Um, Weekly deliveries of fruit and vegetables that come from local farms. That just comes in a box delivered straight to our doorstep. There are a couple different services for this, so we're trying out a bunch of different ones so we can experience them. We did the first week we did paddock to porch, and they're thirty dollars for a small box, which was enough for me for almost the whole week. I probably could have used a little bit extra, um, and that was. It's all fruits and vegetables that are locally sourced, and they were fucking beautiful, like really, really nice, uh, nicely packaged. And you can order that up to the 8 o'clock on the day of delivery. So if you forget or whatever, you can actually get it that day, which is pretty fucking awesome. Then uh, the next week I did Home Fresh Organics, which is a bit more expensive because it's all organic or spray-free. And uh, that was a bigger box, but it was uh, about $60. So it was almost double the price of the other one, but it lasted me the whole week and it was organic. So that was good. Um, the only trouble with that is, is that I realized after I ordered it, that it actually gets packaged in Brisbane, put together in Brisbane and then sent by a courier down to here. So I didn't feel like that was actually very local. So I'm going to stick with paddock to porch for now, or, uh, there's a couple other ones. There's ripe and raw organics. And then there's another one that we just found that we're going to try next week. So I'll let you know how that goes. But it's pretty fucking awesome. Anything else that we want outside of fruits and vegetables, we go to a local butcher to get um, eggs, milk, yogurt, and meat. And then if we want anything else, we go to the local farmer's market on a, a Sunday and top up on that stuff. We've got some flour, and I baked us some bread, which was really cool. I've tried two different recipes now, and uh, that was really neat. I don't normally eat bread and then all of a sudden I was eating a fucking loaf of bread that came out. <laughs> it's so good when it's so fresh like that. It's so hard to not eat it. So I don't know if I'm actually being any healthier. I just certainly feel a lot better. Apart from the fact that last night I spent the entire night periodically vomiting for no reason. I don't know. I don't, I do not know what the fuck got into me last night. And I don't know about you guys, but the last time, like I can't remember the last time as an adult that I vomited for no reason. You know what I mean? I'm always at least drunk or severely hungover if I'm vomiting. So this was a very unpleasant surprise. I was doing my meditation, laying in bed, and all of a sudden I just felt really sick, and I got that gross thing where water fills up in the back of my mouth. I went, holy fuck, I'm going to throw up, and I haven't even got drunk for three years. <laughs> What's happening? It was a nightmare. It's not fun to be drunk, or I mean sober, vomiting. So, yeah, that happened. But I'm still here doing this. Today, I still have some brain cells, and I feel okay. So, I don't know. I'm not blaming the fruits and vegetables. I don't know what the fuck it was, but I also had a ghost cat appear in my bedroom at about, I don't know, 8 o'clock this morning when I kind of came out of a fervored stupor. Um, I felt a cat walking on my bed, like separate paw prints stepping on my covers and 
putting indents on my mattress. And I was like, oh, fuck, I left the door open, and Melina's cat must have come in to say hello to me. So I rolled over to look at the cat, and there was no cat. Nothing was there. There was a distinct feeling that somebody was walking on my bed, and then there was no cat. And then I looked at the door, and the door was closed, and no one was in my room. (laughs) So I'm slightly mental today, but I think I'm going to be okay. So anyway, that's uh, the update from Freshuary. I think I'm probably spending about maybe $120 a week on food in total from the butcher and the uh, fruit and veg deliveries. And I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty normal for one person to eat food and knowing that it all comes from local sources and it's all pretty good for me. And everything I have to make, I have to make from scratch, which is fucking awesome. It's been so fun. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Now... On to the subject of today's podcast. As I said, I am continuing on with human motivation as viewed through the psychological lens of transactional analysis, or TA. And so if you haven't heard episode 42, where I give an introduction to this school of thought, it may make more sense to go back and listen to that one first, and then come back and listen to this. I think that it's, it's whole enough in itself that you'll be able to understand it. But if you don't understand it or you want some more background, please do go back to episode 42, listen to that, and then come back to this one. So here's a little recap about what uh, transactional analysis is. TA focuses on analyzing human social interactions by identifying certain ego states uh, or these like sort of predictable patterns of being within each of our personalities. And uh, we... They analyze these states in order to better understand human behavior and to help us adjust certain behaviors that might be not really conducive to either the social environment or our own personal happiness and success. So an example of that would be, um, I don't know, the classic one is like if you find yourself hanging out with somebody that you suddenly are attracted to and you're thinking about possibly doing sex stuff with them in the future, and then you get bright red, you start mumbling, you start rambling nonsensical stupid shit for ages until they kind of look at you like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Or you start giggling incessantly. That, um, then you kind of, like, after the interaction's over and you walk away, you go, Jesus, fuck, Lorna, what an idiot. Like, what are you? Who does that? Why can't you just be a normal person? Why can't you be the person that you are with everybody else when you're around this person, the one person that you are trying to be impressive and cool towards, you become a fucking moron. What's wrong with you? Then you make a promise to yourself, like, all right, next time I see this person, I'm going to be, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be really good. And then maybe you don't see that person again, but maybe find a new person that you are attracted to and you're trying to be impressive towards and you do the exact same fucking thing. Despite all your best efforts to not be that idiot, you are that idiot. That is an example of slipping into one of your ego states, this kind of predictable pattern of behavior that happens at any time in a given situation, regardless of whether or not it makes you happy. So if you've ever done that, and I imagine you have, because probably everybody in the fucking world has done stupid things like this, it could be with your boss as well. Like It could be with an authority figure that you want to stand up to, but you suddenly cower and run away from, and then you go like, why the fuck did I do that? I should have just stood up for myself. And then you beat yourself up about it, but it's not necessarily your fault. This is a common standard practice in human behavior. So transactional analysis, the aim of this uh, school of psychology is to get you out of those ego states and back into a normal, more rational, logical, present moment state of being so that you don't constantly have these destructive patterns happening in your life. Um, So there are three different types of ego states that uh, transactional analysis outlines. And at any given situation, any kind of social interaction, or even with ourselves, we will switch fluidly in between all three of them at any given point. We'll only be able to occupy one at a time, but we will always be fluctuating in between them. They are your child, your parent, and your adult. The child state is, as you would expect, a series and collection of patterns and behaviors and thoughts that you collected as a little kid. And learn to deal with social interactions in the social environment, and you realized, oh, these things work in this situation. So, for example, when you're a kid, you're playing with some toys, and then someone takes it away from you, and you have 
a big cry and you get mad about it and then you run away and soak in your room and your mom comes and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I know you really liked that toy, we'll get you another one. So at that moment, it kind of solidifies it, oh, that behavior worked because I got what I wanted at the end. So you kind of lock that away into like, excellent, when I don't get my way, this is what I do. And so then maybe when you're, I don't know, 25 or something, and you're living with your first boyfriend and you're having the time of your life and everything's good and then you don't get your way, you immediately automatically slip into this behavior where you have a big cry, you run away and soak in your bedroom. And then he comes and follows you in and goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize it meant that much to you. Um, let's do what you want to do. And then again, that behavior reinforces itself because it got rewarded. You got what you wanted out of the situation. So it doesn't lead you to question why you're doing what you're doing. It just goes, yep, this is the way of being in the world and it works. Now, if that exact same situation happened and your boyfriend, uh, wasn't into it and you had a little cry and ran off and went into your bedroom and pouted on your bed, if you walked up to the door and went, look, I'm not going to deal with you in this state. I'm going to go do the thing I want to do. And if you want to come, I'll see you there. If you don't, great. I'll see you later. And then he walked away. What would happen to you right then would be a little one of these mental earthquakes, a little moment of, fuck, that didn't work. What happened? And you have two options here. You can either go, oh my God, he's such a fucking asshole. And like call your friends and be like, I can't do this. He's a dick. Or you can go, hmm, maybe this behavior pattern that I employed as a child isn't exactly the most conducive to my and my partner's happiness. And maybe I should have a little look at myself and possibly adjust my behavior. Then uh, the parent state would be uh, your more sort of critical judgmental state. This is a set of patterns and behaviors that you observed your parents or authority figures in your life doing when you were a kid. So uh, this is usually if you noticed, you know, somebody, your parents yelling at you for something or calling you, uh, in my case, selfish and careless. Then when I grow up and I notice somebody do a similar behavior and I go, oh, that's pretty selfish, isn't it? It's pretty fucking careless. That is me adopting my parent ego state. Now, none of these, uh, I'm just giving, I'm giving you negative examples, but uh, they, these ego states also have positive examples too, because your parent ego state is also your nurturing side, your caring side, the organizational side. So it can be very good in reining in some of the chaos of the child state. And on the same token, the child state is where a lot of creativity comes from and fun and silliness and um, connectivity. So they are good and bad to both of these things. The time where they become bad is when they become destructive to yourself or to somebody else, or they're not really conducive to the overall social environment or the greater good. Now, um, each one of us has all three of these states at all times, but they are only going to be consistent within me and consistent within you. So if my child state is to automatically throw a tantrum and your child state is to whimper and ask for attention, then uh, you will do that every single time in that given situation. And I will do the tantrum in every given situation. So my child state will be consistent across my personality and yours will be consistent across yours, though we might have different ones. So it's really hard to identify uh, who's doing what here. They're pretty classic, typical behavior patterns, but you have to be watching a person for a while to see which state that they might be in because they will look different to everyone. Now, um, the goal of transactional analysis, as I said before, is to try and get into a rational, logical state of being, and that is the adult state. So this is kind of your impartial observer. This is the person that is reacting to the present moment with logic, rationale, and objective discretion. This person doesn't go into one of those predictable behavior patterns, rather deals with each situation as it comes as a new situation. Now, these ego states are pretty important evolutionarily. It, the only reason why we have them, it's kind of like an efficiency mechanism. So it's it's nothing to be ashamed of or angry at when you get into one of these situations. They are absolutely necessary to us with the unlimited amount of information that's coming in on any given moment. It would be so overwhelming if we never learned 
and then had kind of an automatic predictable response to a given situation. The problem is, is when it starts to become destructive. That's all it is. Because if you imagine that you never learned anything as a child, every time you come up to a new situation, you would be totally lost and naive. So it's okay to have some preconceived ideas about a good way of reacting to a situation you kind of roughly know has worked in the past. It's just a matter of paying attention to the fact that you may be employing a a behavior pattern, and if it's not something that's working for you, then there is a potential to change it by pulling out of the behavior pattern and trying to come at it with a more objective viewpoint. So that's the overall goal of transactional analysis. Now, um, that's kind of all I'm going to go into about the ego states today, because I'm actually more interested, especially in this conversation, I probably will go into them more later because there's some Oh, it, it's really interesting. Like the amount of, once you get a handle on all these ego states, then you can start wa- observing the games that people play with each other, which is really interesting. And there's a great book about this. I talked about it on the last podcast, but it's called Games People Play by Eric Byrne. And he's the founder of this uh, school of thought. So it's worth reading if you're interested in this. Um, so what I'm actually concerned about is the actual underlying human motivation that kicks us into one of these states or otherwise. I, I started talking about it in the last podcast, and this is the concept of strokes. This is the core idea of transactional anal- analysis is that all human behavior is dictated by one desire. So everything that you do is dictated by one single desire, and that desire is recognition. Recognition that you exist. It's not recognition that you're special. It's just recognition that you exist. So in the same way, a atom is the base unit of matter, a stroke is the base unit of recognition. And uh, an example of a stroke would be if I was taking the bins out to the street and my neighbor was taking his bins out to the street and I nod and smile at him and he nods and smiles at me. That is an example of each of us giving one stroke each and that little experience is what they would call a transaction because we've just exchanged one little unit of recognition that each other exists and gotten one back. Now, strokes can be positive or negative. Um, Like a positive stroke would be a pat on the back And a negative stroke would be um, like if somebody spat in your face. And interestingly, since the point of exchanging strokes is actually recognition, a negative stroke is actually less damaging to your psyche than not getting a stroke at all. Because the payoff doesn't exist when someone thinks that you're invisible. The point of interacting with other people is this concept of recognition. So even if somebody does spit in your face, at least they acknowledge that you exist. It would be far worse for your psyche if you just walked, if they just walked right past you and didn't acknowledge you. Uh, evolutionarily, whoa, that's a hard word. Evolutionarily, this makes sense because being unrecognizable means that you're an unknown or an outsider. And that almost always meant imminent death. Either the tribe's going to kill you because they don't understand you, or they're not going to feed you and take care of you, and you're going to be left on your own. Either way, you're going to die. And the only reason that we've made it this far as a species is because of our ability to recognize and cooperate with each other. Like, just think about it. If you were on your own in Africa tomorrow, and a tiger was running at you, you would not be able to kill it with your body. Like, no chance. I'm a trained martial artist, and there is no fucking way, even though I could possibly on a good day put somebody to sleep with my shin, I would never be able to fend off an attacking tiger. <laughs> I'd, I'd get fucked up. I'm th- This human being is such a useless animal compared to most of the animals, most predatory animals that exist, but somehow we've managed to be on the top of the food chain. And the only way we did that is because we learn to cooperate with each other. And, obviously, in order to do that, we had to recognize a kindred spirit in each other, unify as a group, and then murder the animal or whatever. And this is really interesting. Do you? I don't know if anyone has heard of this before, but the reason why we have an iris and then a bunch of white stuff around the outside of the iris in our eyeball is so that we can silently communicate to each other by following each other's gaze. 
Isn't that incredible? The whole reason our eyes are built this way is so that we can communicate with each other, so we can cooperate and identify danger without having to actually raise an alarm. It's pretty fucking cool. So the reason why they've called this unit of recognition a stroke is um, like petting a cat or getting stroked is because human babies respond positively to physical touch stroking or being held, and they have major issues when they're not being touched. If a baby doesn't get any attention, they'll find a way to get it by crying or grabbing for their mother or squirming or reaching out. And what's very interesting about this is that this is very similar behavior to a baby that is hungry. So if you imagine that being hungry is like a survival alarm bell that tells your body that it's going to die without food, loneliness is the psychological alarm bell that tells us that we'll die if we don't get some recognition. (laughs) So there's nothing to be ashamed of. Every single person in the fucking planet feels lonely because it's a biological imperative that we are recognized by the people around us. In transactional analysis, if you don't get this recognition growing up, uh, or if you go through a period of long period of time without getting any recognition, they call this recognition hunger. And when it goes on for way too long, it can develop into sort of pathological, antisocial behavior, dangerous behavior, and mental illness. There has been a ton of research done about the effects of loneliness on people. Um, And I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, but there's a great book about this uh, called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. There's a whole chapter where he talks about loneliness and some of the research that's gone into it. And he sums it up in one sentence, which was fucking scary to me. It said, being disconnected from the people around you has the same effect on your health as being obese. Think about that for a second. In uh, the two Western worlds that I've lived in, in Australia and in America, our number one cause of death to people right now is obesity heart disease, and heart disease. So just think about that. that. It's not fucking drugs. It's not shark attacks. It's not even car accidents. It's not Ted Bundy, the serial killer, creeping in through your window. Even though we're all terrified of all those things, all what it is is shitty diet, lack of exercise, obesity, and heart disease. And what's fucking crazy is that chronic loneliness is that damaging to your health. It increases your chances of dying of any one of these diseases three times. (laughs) That's so fucking nuts. So our entire sense of identity and well-being is based on our perception of ourselves in the social order. And we feel that in relation to the strokes that we're either getting or not getting and the quality of the strokes, whether we're getting positive or negative strokes in our experiences. If we're recognition hungry for too long, we get sick. Now, there is a very, very big difference between being alone and being lonely, and that's the point of today's podcast. So I'm curious about why it is that some people are better at being alone and seem to be totally satisfied being alone on their own where other people need, crave the attention of other people and need to be constantly around other people. Because I fluctuate between those two pretty consistently. And a lot of times I could spend a shitload of time on my own and I'd be just fine. And I don't realize that I'm lonely until I actually, it, it overcomes me that I am lonely. But it'll take, like it could take up to fucking three months for me to actually feel that. And then there are other people that have to see people every day. So I... I've come up with this idea, and I think, um, obviously, as I said, I, you know, I'm not fucking educated in this field. I'm going to assume that the people that came up with transactional analysis or have done a shitload of scholarly research into the world of psychology are onto something when they say that all human behavior is motivated by recognition. I agree with that much, and I ought to. <laughs> I'd be a moron if I didn't. But my theory is, is that that recognition actually comes in two distinct forms. And those two forms of recognition are mutually exclusive. They're polar opposites. And so in order to alleviate loneliness, we have to achieve a balance between those two to get that satisfaction of recognition. 
So the one form of recognition is the one that we've already talked about, which is recognition that you exist from other people, which is the giving and receiving of strokes. And then the other one is recognizing your own existence yourself by giving and receiving a stroke from consciousness itself. I might sound a bit fucking wishy-washy, but I'm going to try and explain this in a clear-headed, normal, logical way. So hang in there. So an example of each one of these things would be the first one, uh, as I said before, meeting someone's gaze and smiling at them. That's you recognizing that they exist and exchanging a stroke. Uh, The second one would be like watching a sunset alone and and just experiencing an overwhelming sense of beauty and presence. But these two things are mutually exclusive, meaning that we kill the magic inside one of these moments by trying to make it become the other one. And loneliness, addiction, and sort of this existential hopelessness, in my opinion, are direct products of this mistake. And I'll explain why. So, for example, you meet someone's gaze and they smile at you, but while that happens, you are so lost in your own fucking train of thoughts and your own little world inside your head that you just stare blankly right through them until they pass. They think you're an asshole because it's not the normal situation and you don't even know that they exist. You've completely missed them. So there's no connection, no strokes are exchanged, and you just kind of both have this lingering sense of discomfort and disconnection on both sides. And for the second one, imagine you're enjoying that beautiful flood of love and belonging while watching the sun go down. But then suddenly you want to share it with someone because it's like, oh my God, this is just so amazing. I have to fucking share it on my Instagram. So you pull out your phone, take a picture and write some bullshit caption on it about the majesty of life and living my best blessed life or whatever. And that shit is a pale and empty version of that fucking incredibly beautiful, lovely feeling of love that you just felt. And now you're left hungry for the little fucking red alerts that are going to come up on your Instagram to show you that you're being recognized by others. So you've smothered this kind of incredible moment and replaced it with this cheap validation. And we, we all know that feeling. Like We want to capture and share moments that feel significant to us, but then every time that we sort of rehash the story or uh, try and get gratification for that original thing, it never feels good. It's always just an imitation of the real thing. Um, cocaine's a great example of this. And if you've never had cocaine, um, you know, I don't know, give it a go. But, uh, in my opinion, I think it's, I think it's probably one of the least beneficial drugs out there that, uh, help us understand ourselves better. I think it does the exact opposite, but this is a great example of this feeling. So like when you go into the dirty back toilet stall of some gross place with your new best friend and suck up that first line through a filthy $20 note, that feeling is incredible. It's a great fucking feeling. But every time you go back in there, every 15 minutes for the next six hours, it never feels the way that it felt the first time. And then with every new line, the come down happens faster, the lines get thicker, and suddenly it's fucking 5 a.m., the bag's all gone, and the guy who gave it to you in the first place isn't answering your phone calls anymore, and the party's over, it's time to go home. It isn't the Coke itself that gave you that feeling. It's the promise of a feeling outside yourself that you can escape into pure sensation for that beautiful 15 minutes. But the trade-off is total disconnection from the people around you. And I know it feels like we're making real connections. We're just opening up our hearts and saying what we mean when we're blasted off our heads at 3 a.m., but that's not really true, is it? This is why we feel so much shame around it afterward, because the things that we say and do don't actually mean anything at the time. None of it's backed up or substantiated, and most of the time you don't even remember what the fuck you were talking about in the first place. And addiction, I mean addiction to drugs, but addiction in everything comes in all forms. It's really silly for us to blame this substance without really considering what it actually does for us. Because the cocaine isn't the problem. We are lonely and in pain most of the time. And when we find a way to satisfy that loneliness quickly and immediately, we can easily get caught up in the cycle of numbing it rather than curing it. And I'd argue that we are all addicted to recognition in some form or another in the same way that we feel addicted to drugs or addicted to fucking whatever. And it's because we don't know that it's possible to actually seek it in healthy ways. And the weird thing about Western culture fueled by 
you know, fucking capitalism and all of the advertisements that go along with it, is that this process of craving recognition and then numbing loneliness actually feeds us the poison and the antidote all at once, if you know what to look for. We can see them both. We kind of understand that we're seeing them both at the same time, but because we're chasing after one or the other in, in equal motion, we're kind of just running around in circles. I'm trying to explain what I mean. Um, the poison is like when you're watching an ad for a car and you go, and it's like, hey, big boy, buy this car. It'll finally fucking help you get noticed in the world and realize that you're not a total useless piece of shit, even if it means that you're going to have to spend all your time working away from your family and people that care about you in order to be able to afford it, this thing is going to give you everything you've ever dreamed of. And then the antidote at that exact same moment is the human ingenuity and magic inside the development of a beautiful machine, this car, is right here at your fingertips. It's not necessarily here for you to hold or possess it, but just to experience it. The simple fact that this, a human being, the same member of your species has created and designed this beautiful machine means that you're capable of creating and designing some kind of fucking magic inside yourself as well. So it's the lure and promise of infinite potentiality at that exact moment. The awe that we feel when we see a beautifully designed car is real. We recognize beauty instinctually. It's like a perfect ref reflection of human ingenuity, which makes us feel lovely on the inside ourselves. So what we should say is, fuck, we did that. A frog didn't do that. No dogs are out there fucking painting masterpieces. They, a human being, just like me, did that thing. But the problem is, we see something beautiful like that, and we go, I need that. We see beauty and we have an immediate desire to possess it rather than to experience it. Like a famous rock star in the music industry is a perfect example of what I mean. In order to become a rock star on TV, you need to dedicate a lot of time to your craft, which means being alone a lot. Working on creativity, meditating, thinking about ideas, really fucking struggling through a rift and honing your skill while everyone else is out partying and doing cocaine in the bathroom, you're sitting at home trying to figure out how to fucking make good music. Then once you've developed that skill, you are going, all that time that you've spent with your own consciousness and yourself, you are going to be rewarded with strokes of creativity, strokes of inspiration. These strokes are just as satisfying as a human stroke. And in my opinion, they're actually probably more satisfying because you know that it's pure. When that beautiful flood of inspiration comes in and you finally figure out whatever that riff is that you were trying to work on, you know it's pure. There's no ulterior motive. It's not like um, consciousness is trying to get you to fucking sign a deal with Pepsi so that they can buy a house in the Bahamas and fill it with prostitutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? This, this thing, when the inspiration comes to you, it is a pure reflection of human ingenuity and creativity. Just the simple fact that you spend enough time to learn how to play the guitar allows you to put that thing out in the world. And that's an incredible thing. But because music is also a giant commercial industry, we reward this incredibly powerful creativity with status and money and adoration and power. And those things are all really addictive. They're like the high fructose corn syrup of strokes. People don't even know a fucking thing about you, but they love you. So then everyone wants a piece of you. And this candy-coated materialism inevitably smothers the initial inspiration. There's no time for quiet creativity because you're out now fucking doing lines of coke off a of stripper's tits. You know, other people are making creative decisions for you because they want to make money off of you. The listeners are all tainted with expectations of who you once were or who you should be or why your music sucks now or the person that you're supposed to be because you're the person that wrote this song. And eventually the music turns into shit and or the whole spectacle kills the artist that created it. Now, it's not all so bad, so don't think I'm being too pessimistic here, okay? There is a rare exception to this rule, and it's the best feeling in the entire world, and I think every single person on the planet can recognize it. When we successfully connect to ourselves and are completely, so completely that 
like the self that we think we are kind of disappears and we slip into pure experience. That thing where, you know, meditators and spiritual practitioners are always talking about be in the moment, be in the moment. When you are successful at getting to that state of pure experience and at the same time connect to another person who is in the very same state of being, that is what I believe we call love. We all know the feeling, whether it's with your family or your dog or your band or your teammates or the guy that you play video games with over the phone in Germany. <laughs> I think, I'm sure, you can have real authentic human connections over a microphone in a violent war game on the Internet. Um, it's, not, it's not like, I don't mean like the carnal love. I don't mean like the love that I just, I need to fuck you and then put a ring on your finger and possess you for the rest of my life. It's like this deep sense of belonging and pure happiness where you don't have to be a something anymore. You can just be. I just recently watched the movie um, Bohemian Rhapsody about Queen and Freddie Mercury. And while I was watching it, I suddenly felt completely overcome by a need to be a somebody. I was like possessed by the idea that I also needed to do something so powerful that people couldn't help but recognize the magic in what I was doing. And then at this <laughs> exact same moment, I almost immediately felt like this horrible, deep sense of hopelessness that I could never, ever do that. And here, in this tiny little moment while I'm watching this movie, I saw in myself bouncing between these two forms of recognition and this very core, deep evolutionary need for me to be recognized. On one hand, I wanted fucking desperately to feel that burning passion inside myself for something I'm creative, like totally being lost in the moment of doing a podcast or making a painting or in a fight or whatever the fuck it is, pushing myself beyond my limits to ignore myself for the sake of a creation itself. And then on the other hand, I know that when I've done that and I've disappeared into myself just to make artwork and avoid everything else, I did this. I made artwork for about six months where I did nothing else but just create it. I wrote a book and made artwork. And at the end of that six months, I was so fucking lonely that I went back to an admin job just for the sake of being around people again. It was horrible. I wasn't able to tell if I was making magic or if I was just participating in some kind of self-indulgent masturbation because there was no feedback from others. In order to know if what I'm doing has any merit outside of myself, I have to really put it out for feedback and then see what happens. I need inputs. I need laughter. I need silliness. I need criticism. Expert opinions are always helpful. So, like, as I sat there watching the fucking pretend Freddie Mercury firing up a crowd of computer-generated fans and buying into the magic of a Hollywood film, desperate to be a something but having no confidence or idea of how to do that, I realized why it hurt so much. That moment for Queen and for everyone in the audience was true love. It was the rare synergy of both of that external and internal recognition of existence. But in that particular case, it was magnified by a million people all feeling the same thing. And that's enough to fucking make all of your cravings explode. I mean, that... like. Imagine that we are all heroin junkies for this sensation of pure experience and connection. And when you see that magnified on a level, everybody wants a piece of it. And, you, and it doesn't matter how it appears for you. you. We all recognize that magic. Whether you would want to be one of the people in the crowd or you want to be the Freddie Mercury on stage or whatever, it's kind of irrelevant. The simple fact that we could see that that was powerful is, I think... Universal. I think every human being would be able to get chills down their spine when they saw something like that. Yeah, but how the fuck do we get there if that's what we want? How do we stave off the lingering loneliness and jealousy of watching other people succeed in love or life or in a fucking Hollywood movie and then get out of the own fucking bullshit inside our own heads? These two, I think, these two aspects of recognition are absolutely integral to being a satisfied and you know contributing member of a human community. And I think the key is to master walking the tightrope between the two of them. So I think you can't all the time maintain that level of intensity. I think if Freddie Mercury was constantly 
in the zone shouting to people every second of every waking minute of his life and a million people were following him around chanting his songs, it'd get pretty fucking old really quick. So this rare synergy, by a product of... Well, its power exists only because it's so rare. And our job is to sort of constantly fluctuate up and down this tightrope, managing those two forms of recognition until we sometimes periodically get a check into that moment. And that's kind of the lure of it, that it's so hard to get to, keeps us going, keeps us driving every day. So we like if you get stuck on one side, one side of the tightrope, for example, would be, you know, like just getting way too caught up in seeking the zone or the flow state on our own. Like I was talking about before with me just spending time on my own making artwork and not actually contributing to the world in any way. It makes you isolated and it can make you redundant. Your skill level sort of only increases as far as our individual imaginations will allow it, and nothing creative exists in a vacuum. It needs something to bounce off of so that you can kind of understand if you're making any connections. But then also, obviously, if you go too far the other way and you get too caught up in seeking validation for, uh, from other people about what you're trying to do, then your ideas are like, your ideas get totally manipulated and they become fucking cheap imitations of their actual potential. Somebody else's opinion of what you are trying to work through until you've really worked it through and kind of thought this idea all the way around you may get waylaid. You might give up on an idea or um, you might start to think that that painting needs to define you. It's, it, it becomes you rather than just a thing that you're doing. So obviously, very importantly, when we take on the opinions of other people too much, we become susceptible to both the, the good and the bad opinions of other people, which can result in either one becoming buying into your own bullshit and believing that the things that you're doing actually make you an amazing person or the opposite, that whatever I'm doing is so shit compared to what everyone else is doing and nobody likes any of my stuff and it's not even worth doing and it's probably better that I don't exist at all. So I think if we go back to the idea of poor mental health being a product of recognition hunger in the same way that malnutrition is a product of physical hunger... There are a bunch of different ways that we can satisfy this thing be- before it becomes a sickness or it fucking kills us. So firstly, it's good to recognize that there is no shame in wanting or needing recognition. This is a totally ho- normal human need. And according to transactional analysis, it is the core element of all human behavior. So it's okay. If you feel a little bit lonely and you feel like you need a little something, that's okay. That's normal. You're not weak or you're not pathetic. But then, accepting that you know that you need some recognition, now we know that there are two different ways of getting that recognition. Either you can get it from other people or you can get it from your own presence of self. And now that we know that those are two options, we can work out the best way to satisfy that need. So now we just have to figure out what satisfies the need in the healthiest way possible. For the recognition of our own existence through experience, um, I'd say that you just need to kind of experiment with ways that make us feel more connected to the immediate present without any external inputs from social media or any other people. Spending time with ourselves doing things that make us feel sort of selfless. And I don't mean... I mean, I obviously doing charity work is helpful, but that's something different. That's working with other people. I mean, selfless in the way that like surfing makes you lose yourself. Hitting a heavy bag when no one's watching, no one gives a shit whether you're doing it or not. Just pure physical exercise. Going for a run in the woods, um, drawing, meditating, making music, doing something on your own for the sake of doing the something itself without any expectations of the end result. Just pure being and pure experience. And there's so many different ways of doing this outside of other human beings. And then I think also that spending time working hard on something that is challenging and then seeing the result of your of actually having done it, so you know, put setting out to hit hit the heavy bag for 30 minutes and not stop until you're exhausted. Once you're done with that, that feeling is like having a lovely nutritious meal for your psyche whereas the opposite seeking validation from other people for just bullshit like you know posting a selfie with a fucking snapchat filter on it 
on Instagram is like just eating a liter of ice cream. It might feel good right at that moment, but it's totally going to be unsatisfying to you. And in the long run, it's essentially going to kill you. And, there, and, they, and I'm, not, I'm not judging... Well, I am. I am I'm not judging the person that does the Snapchat selfie because I understand where it comes from, the desire comes from. But here's the point. The reason why that fucking Snapchat filter selfie doesn't actually satisfy you and why you feel so addicted to doing it is because you know at your core it's not you. That's not what you look like. You know what I mean? This is a computer-generated image that has altered your features to make you look pretty much like everybody else that uses that same fucking filter. And it's not actually you. So then when anyone's commenting on it and saying, oh, you're so beautiful, what a cool whatever, it's not you. They're talking to the computer. And you know that. Your core knows that. So even if you do get 3,000 likes, it's bullshit because it's not you. So you haven't been nourished, and you're going to still be starving once the red notifications disappear, and you're still going to feel like shit. The only recognition that we really need is recognition that we exist not recognition that our existence is special. And that's a really important distinction. When we start chasing the need to be special, that's when things start to get a little bit creepy and addictive. So um, then going back to the, uh, to the other option is getting recognition from others. When you have the uh, option of being around other people, being completely present with other people when we're around them so that we actually notice and feel the strokes that we're getting and receiving uh, getting, giving out and receiving. That way then when we leave a social environment, we actually feel nourished. It's like being distracted when you're eating a meal. I don't know if anyone else does this, but I'll do it sometimes. Like if I'm reading something or fucking looking at Instagram while I'm eating, I'll suddenly be finished with my meal and realize that I, I don't even know what I just ate. And I can't even tell if I'm full or not because I just ate mindlessly, put food inside my body and then just didn't even experience it. That's kind of what it feels like. So when you're interacting with other people, but you're so caught up in your own head and your own bullshit and your own worries and story and, or you're needing to get something from out of them and you're not authentically connecting to them, you are never going to feel satisfied in that experience. And this is why I think, uh, like a one night stand type of thing can be so addictive is because you're getting this physical gratification that you think you need, but there's actually no meaning and substance behind it. So it's just, again, like eating a shit ton of ice cream. It feels really good at the time. It's so self-indulgent. And then after it's over, you just feel like total shit. You're not nourished. You aren't satisfied. And you weren't present and connected with that person. Not to say that you can't have a one-night stand with somebody and be totally connected to them and present with them, uh, as long as both of you understand that that's what's going on. I think there are ways of doing that. But so being completely present with that person, even if you both know that you're just going to fuck each other and never see each other again will probably leave you a lot more satisfied than buying into some fantasy that's not true. And uh, secondly, if you are feeling a bit lonely, maybe try giving out some strokes to people around you. Like um, simple shit, you know, like when you put the bins out and you notice your neighbor's doing the same thing instead of like ducking your head down and looking the other way, look at him give him a smile and look away unless he's, you know, been notoriously staring in your windows at night. That would be a dangerous thing to do. But if it doesn't hurt you to be friendly and open to strangers around you, because 99% of the time that person is going to reciprocate with a stroke of their own. They're going to acknowledge your existence. You're going to acknowledge theirs. Where we get into this weird problem is that the fucking media has made us so afraid of each other that we are so fucking terrified to have connections to other human beings because we're afraid that we're going to lose it or we're afraid they're going to fucking murder us or they're going to chase us home at night. People aren't like that under normal circumstances. If we all made a little bit more of an effort to smile at each other when we saw each other without a need, without a fucking trying to get somebody's phone number, without an ulterior motive, just be friendly and acknowledge each other's existence will help us all come out of our own shells a little bit. And then you can stop that, that misunderstanding of whether or not someone's being nice to you because they're trying to have sex with you or because they just like you. Or, sorry, they just want to you know, acknowledge that you exist. They might also like you. And in fact, probably people like each other more when they smile. Okay? So... That leads us to, you know, the concept of charity or whatever uh, you 
if you want to go out and do something helpful to somebody else, that's exactly what that is. You are giving out a shitload of strokes for other people and the amount of gratitude that you'll get back for somebody that actually genuinely needs your help and you're willing to give it, you will feel so internally satisfied. I think, so those are kind of the directions that you want to go to. You do need recognition, but instead of opting for the kind of cheap, packaged, ready-made uh, variations of recognition, i.e. posting a picture on Instagram and then waiting for likes, you will probably be much more satisfied and better off by just having a chat with your neighbor when he's walking the dog. All right. Jeez, that's 50 minutes of me rambling fucking shit. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. I fucking love doing these solo podcasts. They're so fun for me. It is... I never really know if I'm making any sense, though. So by all means, please do. Send me your comments, questions, feedback, whatever you want, because I would love to know that if what I'm saying makes any sense or is helpful or not helpful or whatever, and then I can go into further detail on any of these things if shit didn't make any sense. It's tough because I invent these ideas in my brick shed by myself, and I don't actually have any idea if they make any sense. I go inside and tell them to Melina, and she goes, oh, yeah, that sounds all right. And then I come back in here and record it and probably say something totally different. So this is the odd thing about a podcast is that when I have another human being in the room, I can see their face. I can see whether I'm rambling shit or not. <laughs> but when I'm talking to you, the strangers out there on the internet, I have no idea if it's making any sense. Anyway, I will continue on with this subject another day. I'll go into more detail about what um, the ego states are and some tangible ways of trying to identify your ego states and get out of them so you stop repeating destructive behavioral patterns. But uh, for now... That is the end of it. I'll be back next week with a lovely new guest. And again, I'm sorry about the delay for this podcast because <sighs> I was fucking brain dead on Sunday. It was all too hard. And now I've been throwing up in the middle of the night. You know, things happen. I am a human being. And I'm certainly rambling now at this point. If you like this podcast and you would like to contribute to it, um, you can, please just like it on iTunes, Spotify, subscribe to it, share it with your friends. If everybody that listens to this episode just tells their friend their favorite episode and shares it with them, I would be so fucking grateful. Um, I can't believe how much the podcast has grown. It's almost been a year, actually. In fact, next week will be one year that I've been doing this podcast, and I can't believe how much it's grown. And uh, I just thank you so much for everybody that's listening and keep sharing it to your friends, tell your friends, whatever, so that I can keep this thing going. And if you really love the podcast and you feel like buying me a nice cool drink, you can do that through the Patreon page. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Lorna Bremner. It's five bucks a month and you can help me feed my organic food habits. Thank you again for listening. Hope you have a great day.